And I just thought, it can't get any better than this until I read the last story in the last chapter. And it talks about this young woman who came up to me after a talk I did in Scotland. And she just you know, ran up to me. And she had tears in her eyes. She was so excited to meet me. And she said, she said, I, I have the career I have because of you. Uh, I've read all your blogs. I've read all your books. You were the only person in this world who took the time to answer my questions and help me. And tears were coming down her eyes. And then tears were coming down my eyes. And because I said, well, the irony of the situation is I am who I am because of you, because of a moment like this. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, Dan Moyle. Hey, welcome to the show. I'm Dan. I'm your host. You're listening to the Storytellers Network. And today we have an incredible story, an incredible guest. Uh, he was absolutely phenomenal. I cannot wait for you to hear this. And, and I've been following his stuff for quite a while. And I think he's a fantastic storyteller and definitely a mentor for marketers. So you're in for a treat today. Now, before we get started, real quick, just a reminder that everything you need to know is on the website, thestorytellersnetwork.com. You can find information to contact me there. You can find resources to better tell your story. You can find past episodes with further inspiration. It's all at thestorytellersnetwork.com. Uh, so let's get to today's guest. Uh, I have the privilege of speaking with Mark Schaefer today. He wrote the book, Marketing Rebellion. He's also written all kinds of other books, uh, known the Tao of Twitter, Content Code, a ton of stuff out there. He's a blogger. He's been blogging, blogging for years and years. This guy has got quite a mind and, and an interesting perspective that I really enjoy hearing from. Uh, so Mark Schaefer is, is on the show today. You're in for a treat. I'm going to shut up so we can get right to Mark's stories. Thanks for joining me, Mark. I, again, I appreciate it very much that you're here with the Storytellers Network, sir. And it's a, a pleasure to be here and it's always fun to talk to you. Now, listen, uh, I see you personally as a storyteller, professionally and personally, in what mm -hmm. you do uh, from the stage, all your books, your social media, you tell stories. Do you consider yourself a storyteller when it comes down to it? I do. I do. And my, my model really has been uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Um, the way Malcolm tells his tales through his books and through his speeches is he finds some data, some pattern that is revolutionary. Uh, it, it makes you sort of rethink uh, the world in some way. And then he, he creates these wonderful stories that illustrate that. So it's, it's, a, it's a powerful combination, really, when you think about you've got a fact that's you know, kind of undeniable. Um, and then you have human stories to sort of illustrate it, which that's what makes it come alive to people. That's what they'll remember. They won't remember the number. You know what? I don't remember the numbers. 
<laughs> yeah, right. When, when people ask me about some of the numbers in the book, I think, no, was that 80% or was that 90%? Um, but I do remember the stories and people remember the stories. And it's an easy way for people to transmit that information because there'll be a story in my speech or in one of my classes or in one of my books that they'll say, oh, yeah, remember that story about this? That's what that meant. So, um, yeah, I, uh, storytelling is an important way to teach. And so that's another facet of your storytelling. You are, you do teach, uh, at university. So yeah, I got to imagine that's all part of that. Now, where does storytelling start for you then? Did you realize at some point that it was really important? Did, did you just always tell stories growing up? How did that start for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, I would say it, it's something that was somewhat instinctual. I, I love to tell stories. I love to tell funny stories. And, um, you know, I'm sort of an introvert. I'm not the life of the party, but, you know, I love having dinner with some friends or something like that. And there's nothing more that I enjoy than revealing something that will make people laugh. And a big turning point for me, Dan, came early in my career when I was becoming uh, well, it was a, kind of like my second career. My first career was in the corporate world. And um, then my second career was uh, about 10 years ago. I started my own business and started teaching and consulting. And when I started out, to me, it was, it was like teaching was a data dump. It was just showing people how smart you were and um, just providing them so much information that they walked away saying, wow, that was a lot of information. That sure was worth my time. And I heard a podcast one time, and unfortunately, I can't remember the person's name. They interviewed this fellow who was a speaking coach, uh, would have been about nine or 10 years ago. And he made the point that to be an effective speaker, and I think an effective teacher, you also have to have an element of entertainment. People aren't just going to sit there and listen to data. And so that had a very profound impact on me because I wanted to be effective. I, I, I wanted people to really internalize this and learn. And so I changed my style. Instead of trying to teach 50 things, I'll teach five. If they can pick up five big things in a class or a talk and they remember the stories that go with it, then my job uh, is going well. And is, has that been the magic number for you then is five? I've been thinking about that myself. And like, is it two? Is it three? Is it five? Is it 10? It, it varies. It could, it could be 10 maybe at the most. Uh, I know uh, Guy Kawasaki, uh, that's one of his formats. When he gives a talk, he'll sort of you know, look at the audience and think about what's going on in the world. And he'll say, here are the, here are the top 10 things that you should know about blah, blah, blah. And then he sort of goes through the 10 things and they'll have a funny slide and a, and a nice story that goes with it. Um, it depends on the time frame. It depends on the audience. Uh, but most important, it depends on your content. I, I never want to, I mean, I hope people know by now if they consume my content, whether it's a blog post or a podcast or a book, that there's no fluff. 
I don't create 10 points just to make it 10. (laughs) If it's seven, it's seven. If it's five, it's five. It is what it is. I don't add anything else. Uh, I don't fluff it up. Um, I, I try to be to the point and concise and accurate and I don't waste anybody's time. Um, so <clears throat> I think it just depends on the circumstances. Yeah. <clears throat> and, I will and- say in, in a blog post, research shows the magic number is 10. That's okay. the best number to put in a headline of a blog post. That really? gets most, I don't know what it is, but Buzz Sumo did that research a few years ago about different posts that went viral and why. And they said that that uh, a blog post with some sort of a number and a headline gets more clicks because it yeah. appears to be more digestible. And 10 is sort of the magic number that gets the most clicks of all. So, hmm. so there's a list of 52 things to know before you die. Is like, no, just make it 10. <laughs> that's a little, yeah, that's a little too much for me. Yeah, me and and I, I mean, I even like to think about it and, you know, I mean, I know numbers work well and the research shows it, but as a storyteller, I like to think about it in, in chunks rather than just a list. But I mean, I, I get it. I get it. And that's yeah. a blog post. So, yeah. Um, so now, so you've got, you mentioned podcasts, you've mentioned books, you, you, mean, you do everything. You have the marketing companion is your, your podcast that, you, that you're on, mm-hmm. uh, that you co-host. You've got the, the marketing rebellion, the new book, uh, which, you know, for anybody watching on, on video, uh, marketing rebel, get a sticker from Mark. Oh yeah. So, um, that's awesome. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, you got your blog posts, your social media. Where, where does the inspiration for your content creation come from? Well, this is going to sound funny because um, it doesn't sound like a very creative thing at all. But I think to be consistently creative, it takes certain discipline. And the first discipline is awareness. You have to look at your world in terms of a story. And I, I'll think about, I mean, we're bombarded with ideas, Dan. Um, we might, someone might be listening to this episode. They might uh, read a blog post. They might see something on television. They might get a question from a friend. And you just have to think about, could that make an interesting story? could that make an interesting podcast episode or could that make an interesting uh, blog? Um, So that's the first thing is, is the discipline of being aware. The second discipline, which is absolutely key is to record those ideas because they'll disappear. So as you, as something strikes you, just write it down, write it down in, in a journal, write it, you know, I use it, I just go to WordPress and write the headline. I don't write a whole blog post. I just write the headline. And then the third discipline is the discipline uh, to block out time to allow yourself to be creative. If you really want to be great at creating content, you have to schedule that time and be really sacred with that time. Just like it would be time to work out, time for a business meeting, time for, you know, time for, you know, with your, with your spouse or with your children. Uh, if you're really serious about it, you need to block out that time, you know, preferably the same hour or a couple hours of, you know, the same day of the week where you can be uninterrupted and you can concentrate. And then you pull out that list that you've created during the week. 
and you you look at you find something that seems like fun to riff about and the only time in my career i've been uh, this is this month actually marks the 10th anniversary of my blog i've written more than two thank you i've written more than 2000 blog posts and i've got a backlog of 265 ideas that i've never even blogged about Wow. Because I just keep adding to the the ideas, and the ones that are most interesting are usually the ones that are right at the top of the list that <laughs> <laughs> I got that week. So, and the only time in my whole life that I just blanked was when I I wasn't keeping up with that discipline. I was just busy, and I was kind of winging it, and I I sat down to write. And when you get to that point where like you have to do it, you're in trouble. Mm. When, you, when you're facing that blank screen and it's coming across as something terrifying instead of something fun, that's when you're in trouble. And if I ever get to that point, truly, I'll stop. Uh, because if it's not fun for me, it's not going to be fun for the readers. And, you know, my promise to my readers and, you know, anybody who consumes any of my content is that I will never let you down. It will always be worth your time. It'll always be interesting. And if I ever get to that point where I think it's not very interesting, I won't publish it or I'll just stop. My time will be over. But so far, if I follow that discipline, and I think that's scalable, Dan, I think other people can do that too. It's not that hard, but it just takes some mindfulness around the creative process and anybody can do it. That's a good encouragement. And uh, yeah, I, I love the idea of setting that side of time, time blocking. I've heard like officially called, but it's just setting that side of time and not, not waiting for the muse, but making. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You may make the muse happen, collect those inspirations all week and you'll be, you'll be shocked. Uh, if you, if you start to get good at it, start to look, if you start to really look at the world as a potential story idea, you know, all your experiences during the day as a potential story idea, you'll, you'll just be amazed at how many ideas you'll have when you open up your computer at the end of the week and it's time to create. Yeah. Now I got to believe there's a at least maybe one listener thinking, well, sure, that's Mark Schaefer. He hates all these things handed to him. You get story ideas based on your books and everything else. But what I hear you saying though, Mark, is that it's really happening in everyday life for us, right? Well, I'll give you a perfect example. So, um, I have a blog post out uh, today. I saw in the news where Tesla announced they're going to be closing all their stores. They're getting rid of all their salespeople. And um, so I was able to sort of connect some dots. I saw this headline in the news. Now, this is nothing special. This is the same headline anybody could see. And um, I was uh, fortunate enough when I was in graduate school, I got to study under a famous author and uh, consultant named Peter Drucker. He was one of the greatest American business authors of all time, probably the greatest. And I had a chance to study him under him for three years. And one of his quotes was, the role of marketing is to make sales superfluous, which means if you do a really good job creating products, based on customer needs, distributing those products effectively, pricing them fairly, why do you need sales? You're, you're creating this demand and meeting this demand in, you know, in a great way. And you might need a little service here and there. 
And so it's like, well, this is interesting. Does Tesla have a brand that's so great? It'll, now, I know there's some cost savings things they're trying to achieve too, but is the brand so great it'll, that it'll work? The people, they've got a backlog for their cars. They don't need salespeople. There's more information on the website about their cars and, the, and, and what you can order than is in any salesperson's head. So I just kind of put these two pieces together and thought, wrote a blog post called, is it, you know, it's something like, is it time to eliminate the sales function? Because you know, this is sort of what Peter Drucker predicted. And look, Tesla's doing it. It's one of the strongest, you know, most emotional brands we have. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's, it's just, if I hadn't been collecting those ideas, then it, those pieces never would have come together. It's, it's just following that discipline. The other thing that was key about that, Dan, is that I wrote it right away. Because a key to great content on the web is also making it timely. Hmm. So if, it's, if you're commenting on something that's going on right now, people love that. So build some flexibility into your schedule. And that, and that comes down to, you know, people call it real-time marketing. David Meerman Scott calls it newsjacking. Are you finding success in that as well then to be <laughs> looked at as a, a news consultants, whatever you want to call it, are you being quoted in articles, that kind of thing? Um, well, yeah, it's a, it's a little different than, than, than news jacking. What, you know, what David Meerman Scott, actually, he, he uh, appropriated the term from a guy named John Burkhart. He's the one who originated it in, in England. And then but David Meerman Scott kind of made it famous. And um, he was sort of saying, he, the idea about news jacking is being ahead of the news to say, so here's an example. Um, uh, it was a great example. So uh, last, you know, years and years ago, when they were about to name a new pope, Notre Dame University went out to all the media and said, we have people standing by ready to comment on this whenever they name the new pope. So that was newsjacking. They were, they anticipated the news, they got ready, they were prepared. So when the news happened, they dominated the conversations because they had, you know, sort of pre-populated the press with the idea that they had experts that were, you know, ready to go on this thing. Um, And I, so it's a little bit different. You know, what I'm suggesting is responding to things that are happening in the news. Okay. And that has been some of my, my most successful blog posts. Um, probably my most popular piece of content in 2018 was um, a commentary on the Nike Colin Kaepernick deal, mm. uh, which was explosive and unexpected. However, as that was going down, I had just finished writing that chapter in my book about values-based marketing. So when Nike did this and the whole thing sort of revealed itself, I knew exactly what was going on. I knew exactly why they were doing it. It made complete sense to me. It didn't make sense to anybody else, but I was looking at the same research that Nike was looking at. And so I was able to, you know, you know, that night, you know, it happened during the day that night I wrote the blog post and 
and the, the next day I had a post that said, why Nike did what they did. And it was, it, it became huge. And I did a little video about it as well. And uh, so, I mean, it's like, it kind of was hard because, oh gosh, you know, it's late at night. I really don't want to do this. But I knew if I could create um, interesting, relevant commentary based on that news item, I knew I would be one of the first. Maybe I'd be the only to do it, to do it like that. And the interesting response to that, Dan, was when I do something like that, when I did that post, people commented back and they said, I was hoping you would comment on this, Mark, <laughs> because they've come to know if something's going down in the news, I can maybe shed some light on it. And that's, that's kind of become my brand. And, and how interesting, by the way, that that story, you know, is we, we all want to be everything to everyone so often as storytellers, as brands, as marketers, we, we want to, we don't want to offend anyone, but how interesting that they, they looked at the research and said, no, but this is our core and they want this kind of a statement and they owned it. And, and well, it's, the rewards. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's super powerful because what customers are saying today is if you want us to be loyal to you, you have to be loyal to us first. Hmm. What do you stand for? Are you with us? Do you align with our values? And if you are, and you can't go back on it, <laughs> right. but if you do the work and you align with people's values, it is by far the most effective way to create loyalty today. So Mark, what is one of the challenges that you face with, with storytelling? You know, I hear you talking about how, not that it's easy, but it's a, it's a discipline to be able to, to pick these things out, be aware, write it down and then go back later and do this. But what do you find is one of your biggest challenges with storytelling? Well, storytelling, um, I'm lucky, Dan, because I don't have to worry about a legal department, <laughs> you know, and I don't have to worry about, you know, some big thick book of brand identity stuff. Um, you know, I, here's the lesson I learned in my, in my first year of, of blogging. I, I was terrible when I started out and I had come from this traditional corporate world. And in my mind, I had like the ideal messaging for my, for my target audience and my personas. And two things happened in that first year. First of all, nothing happened. Uh, did, I didn't go anywhere. Nobody was reading my content or sharing my content. And the second thing that happened was I was, I was bored making up stories for what I thought people, some persona wanted to hear. It just was artificial. And I think that is a danger in, in this whole, in the persona model. I, I do think there's a place for personas, but when it starts to become soulless and scripted, then you're going to fail. And so I just decided to be myself. I thought I'm, you know, I, I'm going to just take some risks and have some fun with this. And, you know, I wrote posts that were, that were funny. I wrote posts when I was angry. I wrote posts when I was upset in an appropriate way, you know, in a professional way. I never, you know, 
I didn't bring anybody down. Uh, you know, I wanted to attack problems, not people, but, um, you know, I was honest and sometimes even raw. And there was, that's when everything changed in that moment, almost on the first blog post when I started to do this, because the magical thing that happened instead of me finding my audience, some persona, my audience found me and my audience is amazing and they're brilliant and they're all over the world. They're diverse, they're engaged, they're loyal. And that's how I've built my brand and how I've built my career. I've never spent one dime on advertising in, in over 10 years of my business now. It's all the business benefits have come from my content. And, uh, and, the, and, and the reason for the success is that, uh, you know, I, I have a true voice. And most companies don't have that. Maybe they'll never have that. Uh, one of my favorite quotes in the book is from Philip Kotler at the beginning of the book. I mean, what an inspiration that man is. And um, he said, uh, what's missing in marketing today, what's missing in business today is emotion. And businesses have to find a way to connect to you in a way that's a, a real, as if they're your friend, in a way that's approachable and kind and even vulnerable, that, that was the word that he used. And it's such a powerful word. Um, and how many businesses can do that? Not many, but that's what, that's what people want today. That's mm -hmm. what they expect today. So it's a huge challenge. Do you have to have your own brand and your own voice in order to have a voice as a storyteller? Or can you do it? still today in that corporate setting, do you think? Like a real job, as it were? Well, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, today, one of the, um, one of the themes of the book is that increasingly, the company brand is the personal brand. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I mentioned this new story about Tesla. And uh, a friend of mine, Scott Monty, uh, used to work for Ford. And we had a commentary back and forth. And he said, well, I just wonder if, um, if Ford or another company could ever pull something like this off. Who's the person that you love at Ford? Who's the person that you trust at Ford or GM or wherever? But, you know, Tesla is special because you've got this pioneering visionary, imperfect by the way, mm -hmm. vulnerable by the way, um, but people can create an emotional bond to a person. You can't create a bond to a, a branded content or a logo or a jingle or an ad but you create an emotional connection to a person. That is marketing. Marketing is creating some emotion between your consumer and you in some way that's, that creates some sort of lasting business benefit. That's marketing. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
so increasingly the personal brand is, is, is the brand. It's going to be the brand. So do you think, so one of my favorite examples in your, in your book is uh, one of my favorite companies out there because uh, I, this is what I do. This is my life. Uh, Harley Davidson. Mm. <clears throat> what a wonderful company, huh? Yeah. And, and there, what, what I hear you say about the personal brand completely agree. Uh, and Elon is just a fantastic example of that vulnerable when he talks about his depression, that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. Imperfect when he goes on Joe Rogan, like he did and gets, you know, lambasted for it for whatever reason. But, but Harley anymore anyway, I mean, Willie G may be the only remnant of, of the Harley Davidson clans, mm. but even, I don't think he even is really that involved anymore. Um, how, how can a brand like that continue on this road? Well, you're missing the big picture. Okay. You're missing the big picture. The Harley, David pers- Harley Davidson person that you love is our neighbors. Mm-hmm. They, so remember, what's the key idea in the book? That the customer is the marketer. Mm-hmm. We don't trust companies. We don't trust brands. We only trust each other. And so that was a revelation for Harley Davidson. They pivoted in the 1980s and they decided they're going to bet their whole company and their whole future on community. And it's not a marketing strategy. It's the whole company. Every single piece, every single function of that company is devoted to community. And they know their community so well. And the community leads the marketing. You know, there was a little story in in the book where, um, oh, just uh, five or six miles from me, there's a Harley Davidson dealership. And on uh, Friday and Saturday nights, they have a, a music venue there at the deal. It's awesome. It's so much fun. And they bring in these, these awesome cool bands and it'll be like a Tom Petty tribute band. And, oh, it's just a ball. They've got great food and people are drinking beer. And, you know, it's, you know, part of it's sort of outdoors. Well, every person there is decked head to toe with Harley gear. They bring their motorcycles, right? 20% of Harley's revenue is merchandise. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, every single Harley person, you know, there's a, the, one of the, one of the quotes from when the book is from the book is someone said, when people ask you what kind of motorcycle you have, you know, they're hoping you say Harley. <laughs> yeah. And because that makes you part of the community. And so it, it's not a single person. I mean, the, the, the best way to market today is to have this community do your job because when, the, when your customers are doing the job, your marketing is over, right? Harley's marketing job is over. All they have to do is, is just keep you know, serving this community and, and giving, the, you know, giving a reason for these for people to go out and tell the Harley story every day. And that's what ma- has made them a legend. Mm-hmm. Thank you for breaking it out that way. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was an incredible story they've had over the, the last personal year. brand is the brand. Yeah. It, but it's not a, it's not a famous person. It's your neighbor. Yeah, that's good. And what I took away, one, one of the things that I wrote down when I, when I read the book and I listened to, by the way, an audible, and it really enjoyed that too. I love oh, the, how you deliver that. So but one of the things that I wrote down took away was just the three words, story, community, connection. 
Mm. And that nice. seems to me to be what a lot of this is about, whether it's values based, whether it's, you know, the neighbor, whether it's Elon Musk, it's the, the story, the community around the, the product, the service, the whatever, and then the connection that, that all that holds. So, so thank you for that. Well, the, the thread between those three words is that the idea is that the story has to connect with the community, which means the story isn't about us. It's about them. Mm -hmm. They don't really care about our story. Our story, you know, doesn't really create community. It's their story. It's not our why. It's their why. That's the beauty of Harley. There, another one of my favorite quotes in, in, in the book is, you know, this guy said, well, I love Harley because uh, how many products in this world make a fat guy look cool? <laughs> I do right? remember that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so that's this guy's why, you know, he, he's, 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 he's absolutely passionate and connected to this brand because by golly, they have these big wide seats and they understand that, you know, I've got a big white seat and <laughs> so we fit. And the, you know, I, I also, the other story I told in the book is about, um, you know, the, the, the sound of the Harley and how people interact with Harley by cleaning it. Mm. You know, I had a, I had a team that had approached Harley about a, a new type of metal treatment that resisted dirt. They said, no, we want to have dirt because that's how people, they touch their bikes. They interact with the product. And it was like, holy cow, that is so freaking brilliant because they don't want to disrupt the community. The community has to be first, even if it would save Harley some money. Can't do it. Yeah. Because, you know, you've got to put the community first. And then you're right. Brilliant's the word. Because even as a biker, when I heard you in that in the book, I went, oh, snap. That's true. Like, wow. So, yeah. yeah. It's incredible. Now, so, yeah. so when we talk about stories, Mark, you, I hear a lot about, in my head, I hear the words like parable, anecdote, epic hero journey story. They're all a little bit different. Is there room for all of them in the business world? When, when we get out of the, the branded boring content, what we touch and connect, is there room for all those in storytelling? Well, I think there's, there's room for all of those and more. Uh, and, and I want to emphasize the, the idea of more because I think this is one of the challenges we have is not just what is the story, but how do we tell the story? And most important of all, who tells the story? Hmm. Because, um, you know, an, an example is um, the New York Times. So the New York Times they have more, and as I wrote in the content code, the real heart of marketing today, the economic value is driven by, the content has to be seen and shared. There's no economic value to content if it's not seen and shared. So we have to build this discipline into our marketing of how do we get that content to move? And there's no company better at that than the New York Times. They've got to get their stories to be seen and shared. And so they are absolutely inspiring and breathtaking the things they're doing to 
tell stories in new ways, the ways they're combining technology. So one of my frustrations is that for most of us, a blog looks like a blog, looks like a blog. A podcast is a podcast is a podcast. And we need to look at not only the formats that you talked about, but just figuring out new mashups, new combinations, creating uh, stories in, in incredible new ways, making the story an experience, making it a game, making it, you know, something that people interact with. It's, it's got, and then, and then, because if you do that, that gets to who tells the story. Nobody believes companies anymore. You know, trust in companies, brands, and advertising has declined 10 years in a row. Even if they see our stories and they see our ads, they don't believe them anyway because that's they, you know, they expect us to say these things to raise our stock price. But if their friends are, are sharing the stories, mm. it's the who. If we can get the stories in the hands of our friends and family and neighbor, that's marketing today. And that goes back to like in the book, you talk about the islands. Yes, exactly. You know, I'll let you on the island if my friends say that I can trust you. Yeah. So then figuring out as storytellers listening, figuring out how to make that happen is, is key to the, to our future. So it's hard, yeah. you know, it's hard. The, the days of the marketing easy button are over <laughs> to succeed. Yeah. We can't automate it anymore. We can't algorithm it anymore. I just made algorithm a verb, Dan. <laughs> yes, you did. Uh, and uh, it, we got to roll up our sleeves. It's like I said, we have got to get down with the people. We've got to get into the neighborhoods, mm -hmm. into the favelas, into the streets. We have to understand. We have to learn. We have to show up and show people that we care. And that is going to be very unnerving to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, that we don't like seeing our customers. We like to hide behind our beautiful dashboards and, you know, let Sprinkler or Sprout tell us what we need to be doing next, right? <laughs> well, we're not going to get any marketing wisdom from a Pareto chart. We've got to go out and we've got to listen and they've got to hear us and we've got to provide the tools to let our customers be the marketers and take that story forward. Absolutely. And, and for those listening who are just enthralled by this, either uh, any of these things, go buy the book, listen on Audible, listen to the Marketing Book Podcast interview with Douglas Burdett. All of those break it down really well. Um, we could spend hours talking about the book, but that's, if this is moving you, listen to those um, or buy the book. Mark, one of the things that I look, I think about with storytellers that I had the chance of having conversations with, chance of interviewing, is that my journey is much different than everybody else's. I'm not as far as I'd like to be. Um, you know, I look at you, Mark, and I remember, I remember the top of Twitter when it came out. I remember seeing. Oh, wow. You were there at the beginning. <laughs> I was. And, and I remember seeing you, you know, watching this growth. You, know, you mentioned Scott Monty and some other folks that you work with. And like, I, I've seen all of your journeys kind of grow and it's amazing. And I remember seeing the content code at a, um, at an airport one time and tweeting to you. I was like, check this out. But anyway, oh, um, yeah. But I see you as, as someone who has kind of, in a sense, made it. I mean, obviously, you're not done. You know, you're not hanging up the, the keyboard, as it were. But I see you as someone who's made it. I got to believe there have been milestones over the years that have kind of made you say, wow, this is kind of cool. Do you have a favorite one, maybe, that you can share? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at, at this point in my life, 
I, I'm in this very amazing place where every week, sometimes every day, somebody tells me that I've changed their life, that I've changed their business. And this is just extraordinary. And I remember um, two years ago when I wrote Known, and I was tired at the end of the day and sort of was worn out and maybe disheartened by some things. I was laying on the couch and my wife was watching TV and I was kind of scrolling through my email. And I had this email from this lady and she said, uh, when my children go to college, I'm giving them five books to help direct the rest of their lives and known as one of them. And it just sent a chill down my spine. It's like, oh my gosh. I mean, just the, just being part of a parental decision like that, being part of a, you know, helping to grow a child. And, 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 and the moment that really sort of brought everything together, it, it's, it's the last story I tell in, in Known. Uh, I, I start the book. Uh, this is the book I wrote before uh, Marketing Rebellion. I wrote it in uh, 20, it published in 2017. And I took a very unusual um, risk in, in the opening chapter. And I tell a story about myself. And I tell a story about the darkness in my life. It's something that I don't dwell on. I like to look forward but I went through a period, a very, very long period where I lived in a war. And uh, I thought I lost everything that meant anything to me. And I put that in the first chapter and it was intentional it was because I wanted to establish with the reader that I'm not talking to you from a, the top of a mountain, like you're saying, you know, you think I'm a person that made it. And I didn't, want, I didn't want people to think about that. I wanted them to know that when I started my journey to be known 10 or 11 years ago, I was lower. I was more despondent and lost than any person reading the book, period. And it was my way of sort of putting my arm around the reader in the first chapter and saying, let's go. Let's learn about this together. And then there's a crescendo to the book. Uh, someone said to me, Mark, you know, I was in the next to last chapter and the stories kept getting better and better. And I just thought, it can't get any better than this until I read the last story in the last chapter. And it talks about this young woman who came up to me after a talk I did in Scotland. And she just you know, ran up to me. And she had tears in her eyes. She was so excited to meet me. And she said, she said, I, I have the career I have because of you. Uh, I've read all your blogs. I've read all your books. You were the only person in this world who took the time to answer my questions and help me. And, and I honestly didn't remember it because uh, I get so many questions uh, from so many different people. I didn't really remember. I didn't connect it. And she looked at me and she said, I am who I am because of you. And tears were coming down her eyes and then tears were coming down my eyes. And cause I said, well, the irony of the situation is I am who I am because of you. 
because of a moment like this, this is the opportunity that I have and I'm not going to waste it. You know, I've just got this amazing platform where I can set a good example and I can, you know, inspire people and lift people up and help people and direct them. And um, so that's, to me, that was the moment is that when that lady came up to me, this young woman, you know, she's probably 25, 26 after this conference. And she just had tears in her eyes. And she said, I, I am who I am because of you. I thought, wow, <laughs> that is a, that is a pinnacle. And has to be incredibly humbling. Yes. Wow. That's a beautiful story. Um, I don't even know how to, how to go from that on that. Just like, boom, we're done. <laughs> See, we did it again, Dan. There you go. There you go. We created this emotional crescendo and we and it, right in right here before your eyes. <laughs> I love it. Well, uh, I, I want to get, I want to get to my last question here in just a minute, but I, I want to make sure everybody has a chance to connect with you uh, in the best way possible. I'll put links in the show notes, of course, you know, to the, the book and your website and everything else. But what do you, what do you say is the best way to connect with Mark Schaefer? Well, I mean, I love hearing from everyone. And um, so my website is businessesgrow.com. You can find my blog and my podcast and, and my books there. All my social media connections are there. Uh, I think you can connect with me on Snapchat, but honestly, I don't go there very much anymore. Someone told me the people who make it on, on Snapchat are random and goofy. I thought, well, that explains a lot because nobody ever said that Mark Schaefer is one random and goofy guy. <laughs> but I mean, I love Twitter. Uh, I love LinkedIn. Uh, you know, I'm on Facebook a bit. Um, you know, a little bit on YouTube, but basically my social media platform of choices is, is, is blogging and, and the podcast. Cool. We'll link to all that in the show notes. So, Thank so Mark, you. Uh, yeah, of course. Um, so I want to, I want to know, that if somebody said to you, Mark, you're no longer able to be a storyteller. You can't tell stories anymore. What would your last story be that you'd want to have to go out on with that? Um, it would have to be something about um, saying thank you. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I can't even think about telling my last story. <laughs> you have to cut this part because I've got, you know, I've got a reputation as a badass. Uh, yeah. You know, it, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'm sort of the Viking of bloggers, I think. Uh, I like no, I mean, I think I, if I had one last story, it, it would just, you know, be to say that, uh, you know, uh, all these people that have, read my blog and supported me and, and listened to my podcasts and, and love my books like you. I just, you know, want to say, uh, you know, thank you. Um, you know, I, I've never taken that for granted. Nice to go out on a, on a gratitude message. Yeah. Sure. I think there's, there, there'd be nothing else to say other than that. Well, Mark, uh, in that same vein, thank you for taking time to share your story on the Storytellers Network and for inspiring all of us in this field of marketing and, uh, and social media and everything else that we're doing. So thanks, man. Well, thank you. Thanks for being so well prepared and reading my book. It was a lot of fun. And there you have it. Mark Schaefer, Marketing Rebellion, and so much more. Uh, please definitely visit Mark online. The links are in the show notes. Thank you again, Mark, for joining me. It is absolutely a pleasure. 
so there you have it, my friends. If you enjoyed the episode, if you got something out of it, please consider sharing it on social media. As Mark said, I can go out and share it all I want, but nobody's going to listen to me. But if you share it with somebody, your friends will listen to, to both of us. So thank you for that. Uh, and if you're new here and you're just figuring out, if you want to listen, text the word storytellers to 31996. And you'll get a, a text back with a couple of links on how you can subscribe on your podcast player of choice. So thank you very much for that. And uh, hey, go to the storytellersnetwork.com. Go to the contact page, hit contact Dan, send me an email, and let me know what you love about the show uh, or maybe what you don't love about the host. So there you go. Until next time, my friends, here's to telling our stories and having stories to tell. Cheers. Cheers.